welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. If you had a conversation with Jesus and you could ask him any question, what would it be? Maybe, Jesus, when are you going to answer my prayer for this? Fill in the blank. Jesus, can you provide this for me? Jesus, why did you create mosquitoes? <laughs> Jesus, how do I get that guy to ask me out on a date? Maybe those are some of the things you might ask. Long, long list, I'm sure, if we talked about it today. Can I suggest one thing you probably wouldn't ask or maybe have never asked him? Jesus, can you have an in-depth conversation with me about my money and how I manage it and why it matters to me and what I should do with it, how I should spend it? <laughs> I'm sort of joking, right? But I'm not like, I don't know about you. That's not a question I, uh, I want to regularly ask Jesus. And, and there's reasons for that, okay? For some of us, like, our experience or our understanding or our learning or our life taught us that like religion and money are a bad, bad combination, right? Some of you are like, oh my gosh, they're talking about money in church, got to head for the door. Maybe someone invited you today or you finally said yes, or you, you, you know, trying to check out maybe church for the first time or first time in a long time. Don't look for the door, even though you might be. I get it. It is a bad, bad combination. And certainly history would tell us that's true. And, and maybe your experience was pretty bad growing up in a church or religion or whatever, where money was all mixed in and money and power and manipulation and control and all of that stuff and, and leaders getting wealthy off the backs of people. So I know that's a mess. So that's in part, we think, oh, well, I don't think I want to talk to Jesus about money. Maybe some of us are like, no, nah, I don't need to have that conversation with Jesus. I'm fine. I don't have money issues. I got other issues. I want to talk to Jesus about other stuff. But when it comes to money, I'm fine. Or perhaps some of us would say, I'm not fine, but what Jesus is going to do about it? Like, does he understand crypto? <laughs> you know, like he was an unemployed single guy, lived 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away. How is he going to help me with my money issues? But there's a couple reasons actually why we might want to have the courage to ask Jesus to have a conversation with us about our money. Um, the first one is this, that there are Tons of people talking to you about your money all the time. And the reason they're doing it is because they want to get it from you. Uh, surveys and, and, um, and articles kind of estimate that somewhere between, uh, we, we are exposed to somewhere between 4,000 to 10,000 advertisements or advertising messages a day. Like that's a big range, but it's in the thousands somewhere between that. So we are inundated, surrounded, bombarded by, like if all of them could talk, if all the bus ads and banner ads and like ads that pop up on our phone or whatever could talk, it would be a cacophony of sound. Like we would go deaf from the noise of people talking to us all the time about buying, about subscribing, about betting, about investing, about planning, about escaping, about whatever it is, you know, easy payments or act now all the time. You are being inundated with messages. There are people talking to you constantly, 24-7, about money, about your money, because they want to get it from you. They need it from you to stay in business. Jesus is the only person who wants to talk to you about money, but doesn't need any of it from you. 
Jesus is the only person who wants to talk to you about money, but doesn't need any of it from you. He has other reasons he wants to talk to you about it, which is actually really important. It's interesting. Jesus talked to people all the time about money. People who didn't have a lot of money, people who did have a lot of money, people who had a lot of problems with money, people who seemed to be fine about money. And Jesus told them a lot of times, he gave them advice, but he never asked them to give him any. <laughs> he told them to pay their taxes. He told them to give to the poor. He told them to give to those in need. He told them to, to give to people who ask, um, you know, without charging interest. He told them to um, not cheat anyone or repay those that they had cheated, but he never asked anybody to give him any money. Someone said it this way, I think it was Andy Stanley, said the reason you can trust Jesus to talk to you about money is Jesus doesn't want to get your money. He wants to make sure that your money doesn't get you. Jesus doesn't want to get your money. He doesn't want your money to get you. Which is why we're actually, over the next five weeks, inviting you to join us on a journey of inviting Jesus to have a conversation with us about money. Even if you're saying, hey, I don't even know who Jesus is. I'm still trying to piece it together. I'm not a part of the faith, or I'm exploring faith, or I'm just starting out. Great. Hopefully, you will actually be convinced that Jesus is everything that he says he is, everything that Christian spirituality worships him as Lord and Savior, just by listening even to some of his advice and some of the wisdom he has to tell us about money. And our hope and our prayer for, for me and for all of you as we go through this journey together over the next five weeks is that we will be able to experience a lot of the things that especially the money ads and the investment ads tell you that we can have. Freedom, happiness, and peace. And our hope and prayer is that over these next five weeks, as we do this together, we let Jesus, the only one who wants to talk to us about money but doesn't need any of it from us, one of my favorite verses in all the scriptures when God says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> Which kind of sounds mean, but it's actually a beautiful way of saying God saying, I don't need anything from you. Like, I own the cattle on a thousand hill. I got money you don't know about. I don't need anything from you. And so that's where Jesus um, doesn't want our money to get us. He is not interested in getting it from us. And so he's the one person we can trust to talk to us about money because he isn't trying to get it from us. So where we start today is really the second reason um, uh, that I, that I want to mention today, but it's, it's actually the most important one. The most important reason we can trust Jesus to talk to us about money and that we should actually want him to have a conversation with us. Um, and it uh, comes from a passage of scripture where Jesus is beginning. He's actually talking to his inner circle about money. And I want you to listen, and then we're going to unpack really the most important reason and really where I wanted to start this whole series over the next five weeks, where every conversation with Jesus about money has to start, is right here. Have a listen. Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters. 
for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. If you've ever read like a Bible story or a Bible to a kid, um, and they, they might see a picture of Jesus or God in the Bible or whatever, and they're like, what skin color? What color is God? Is he brown like me? Or is he black? Or is he white? Uh, what, you know what Jesus says in this passage? Careful, your God might be green. Or actually, if we're going to Canadianize it, your God might be blue, purple, green, pink, or brown, right? He's talking about money. Be careful, your God might be green. It just actually uh, helps us realize that for Jesus, money is no ordinary thing. And in fact, he talked a lot about it. He, he spoke about money more than he spoke about salvation or prayer, which is good news. And it kind of makes sense because marriage therapists will tell you like couples don't fight and split apart over salvation and prayer. They fight and split apart over money right? Families don't hold grudges for decades because of arguments about salvation and prayer. They do it because of what grandpa left in his will and why, <laughs> right? People don't grind away at a job they hate and that's killing them when they could do something else for 50 years because of salvation and prayer, but because of money. So it's a good thing that Jesus has a lot to say about it. And in his mind, it's no ordinary thing. It's not simply a tool. It's not simply a means to an end. In fact, if you look at what he says in this passage, if I can in, put these words on it, Jesus describes money as a rival God or a rival to the one true God. And I, I want to unpack that for you for a moment because that is the starting place for us to understand how significant any conversation, Jesus' conversation or otherwise, any conversation we have about money Jesus says, it is possibly a rival to God himself in your life and in our lives. And look at what he says in, when he, in verse 20, when he's describing this whole dynamic of money, he's talking about God as someone we serve. He uses three different words, someone we serve, someone we love, and someone we are devoted to, or probably the best translation of that word, that Greek word from Aramaic to Greek to English is to cling to or trust in right? This is who God is. God is someone we serve, someone we love, and someone we cling to or trust in, which is beautiful when it describes our relationship with God, even the word serve. Because when we think about to serve God, just means, again, he doesn't need things from us. Not like we serve him like a server where we bring him drinks and food, like a, you know, or like a, a, a servant in the household of a king does. God doesn't need that stuff. What does it mean when we serve God? It means that we let him direct our lives. We're not giving him food and drink at, his, at the king's table. We're giving him our lives. We let him direct our lives for his purposes of healing and reconciliation and forgiveness and redemption and wholeness and goodness and justice in our world. We give him our lives. That's how we serve God. We love God, which means we give him our affection. This isn't just like a, you know, he is, he is a father too. He's close. There's familial language that our relationship with God isn't just one of service, but one of love, that we love God and that we cling to God or we're devoted to him in that we trust him. It's a desperate kind of trust. That's what that devoted means. Clinging is like, I need you. Like, if I don't have you, I can't do this life. Many of us could in this room probably say that, yeah, I couldn't do my life without God. 
And so these are all words that describe our relationship to God. We serve God by letting him direct our lives. We love him by letting him have our hearts and our affections, our desires, who we think about and want to be. And we, we desperately cling to him because we trust in him and depend on him. <laughs> and Jesus says, it's possible to relate to money like that. Like we let money or the pursuit of money or the need for money, we serve money. How do we serve money? We don't bow down to it. We don't give money food. What do we do? We let money direct our choices. We make decisions based on money. You're serving money when you do that. You're letting money direct your life. You're saying, my life is directed by my choices of career, of place I live, of what I do, is directed by wealth and not just the paper itself, but what money means and what money does and what money offers. That's how you serve money. And Jesus says, you can't serve God and money. You can't let God direct your life and money direct your life at the same time. There's going to be a battle. We can love money since we give our hearts and our affections, again, not just to the paper. It's not like Scrooge McDuck where we swim in our money. We, we love it. it. It takes up our heart's affections. And in fact, we have a whole genre of music, hip-hop music now, that sings as much about money uh, as anything else, um, as this idea of status or whatever it means. It's like we love it. It holds our heart's affection or we love the things that it does. We think about it. It holds our heart. And actually earlier on in the passage, Jesus says that where your money is, there your heart will be. And he says, you can't give your heart to God and give your heart to the things of money and wealth. And we can trust in money. We can cling to it. We can depend on it. It's the thing we try to have or in order to feel safe and secure, or we feel safe and secure if we have it. <laughs> Jesus is setting up a rival, a, a battle between our, our service, letting our lives be directed by something, our love, and our trust. To which we might say, yeah, rich people, your God is green. <laughs> but just think for a moment, okay, just check ourselves. It's easy to think, oh yeah, rich people, they're the ones. Money is their God. You know, their God is green. That's what they, you know, I can always tell people who have a problem with money, we say, right? It's easy to see that <laughs> in other people. But think about this for a moment. Jesus was talking to his inner circle of disciples and a broader community uh, as part of this, what was called the Sermon on the Mount. And most of them were nowhere near to rich. In fact, they were much closer to abject poverty than riches, than a rich, full, easy life. And yet, he's saying to them, be careful. Your money can become a god. There's a, and you, you can be caught. In fact, you can't be caught in the tension between serving, loving, and trusting, and depending on, and clinging to God, and doing the same thing to wealth and money. I think what's important is Jesus is not like a minimalist. Jesus is not like anti-purchase, um, uh, anti anti, he's not raging against the consumption machine. Look at all the shopping malls in the Jerusalem, the Judean desert. They didn't have any shopping malls, right? What is he talking about? He's just trying to be honest with the fact, is that actually telling us to be honest with the fact of like, look at what's going on in your heart. It's possible that this thing has your heart, that this thing has your trust, that this thing is directing the decisions of your life. And so we actually need to say, wait a second, he wasn't talking to a whole bunch of wealthy people. He was just talking to people, all of us, no matter where we're at. And is it possible that I might have a relationship with money or relate to money like I relate to a God? Is it possible that money has God-like influence in my life? Well, let's take a moment 
and figure that out. One of the ways that I uh, try to do that, help that with help people with that is actually do that in premarital counseling. Uh, when couples come to me and say, oh, we'd like you to marry us, I say, okay, I will, but we're gonna meet seven times first over kind of eight or nine months. And we spend one whole session, homework, or whatever, on the issues of money. And one of the tools that we use is a survey that they have to do to try to understand, listen, what money means to them. And I want to let you in on that today. And we're all going to do that survey together. Now, some of the questions are related maybe to like how you think about money in marriage or dating or couples, but you can still answer even if you're not dating or married or whatever, you can answer that in the, what you think, your opinion of it. And I want you to be as honest as you can with these questions. We're just going to go one by one um, through them on the screen. And then we're going to kind of add up our scores and we will discover, each of us will discover, well, what does money mean to you? What does money mean to me? And at the end of it, I will show you my scores because I did the survey too. What does money mean to us? And I want you to answer as honestly as you can. This is anonymous. You're only, it's only you. They're going to see it or whatever. But it's trying to, and some of the questions you might say, oh, I know that's not a good answer, but be honest, yeah, but I, I still might believe that or I may still I lean that even if I know that's not totally true or even if I know that's not totally good, be honest. So we're gonna go four questions at a time and you're gonna need like your phone or a, a piece of paper, a pen or whatever, just to keep track of your scores. And then I'm gonna invite you to add them up at the end of each um, section of questions. Now, here's how the scoring works. Every question you are gonna rate one, two, three, four, or five. Okay, put a number, one, two, three, four, five. One is strongly disagree, five is strongly agree, and then all the other numbers are in the, in, in the middle, and you can see them on your screen there. And they'll be up every set of the questions, you'll see the rating system so you know. And we'll go four at a time, and then we'll add up each section of four. Got it? Clear? Okay, so I will read the questions slowly. You're gonna put one, two, three, four, or five, and then you're gonna add up your scores. Okay, first statement. Agree, disagree, strongly, strongly disagree, undecided. I look up to people who have been financially successful. I look up to people who have been financially successful. Just put your score there. Don't think too hard about it. In making a major purchase, I consider what others will think of my choice. Having high quality things reflects well on me. It is important to me to maintain a lifestyle similar to or better than my peers. Or maybe you could insert family into there. It's important to me to maintain a lifestyle similar to or better than my peers or my extended family. Okay, now you would have put a number one, two, three, four, five. So we're gonna stop and add those all up. Again, the max you could get for that section, right, is 20. The minimum you could get is four. You know how this works, right? So just write down your number and mark it like on your phone or a piece of paper, section one, right? Part one, total score, somewhere between four and 20. Some of you having trouble with the math, just ask a friend. Some of you are like, why are we doing math in church? Okay. Section two, having some money in savings is very important to me. One, two, three, four, or five. Number five is strongly agree. One is strongly disagree. The other ones are in the middle. I would rather have extra money in the bank than some new purchase.
Question seven, I prefer safe investing with a moderate return versus high risk with potentially high returns. I feel more secure when I know we have enough money for our bills. Okay, you're gonna stop for a moment, add up section two, part two, questions four to eight, or five to eight, sorry, what's your total score? Somewhere between four and 20. Okay, third section, there's four in total. I really enjoy shopping and buying new things. People who have more money have more fun. Agree, disagree, strongly. People who have more money have more fun. I really enjoy spending money on myself and others. It's fun. Then last one for this section, money can't buy happiness, but it sure helps. Put your score there, one, two, three, four, five. Now add up your scores for section three. Should some, total somewhere between four and 20. All right, last section. He or she who controls the finances in the marriage calls the shots. I would be uncomfortable putting all my money into a joint account with my spouse. The benefits of money is that you can have more choice in life and influence with others. Just rating one, two, three, four, or five. And then last question. I think each person in the relationship should control the money they earn. All right, now you're gonna stop again for this section and add up all your scores. Somewhere the total should be for section four, somewhere between four and 20. All right, now I'm gonna show you a little chart of what money means in terms of the diagnostic. What do the scores or your answers to these questions mean? And I'm gonna use this diagnostic as a tool to show you my, my scores, just to give you an example of, and you can see what your scores might be. So if I add up all of my scores for questions one to four, I scored 10 out of 20. And for that, those questions, that's about money, meaning identity, who I am as a person. Then questions five to eight, add up all your scores. I scored 16 out of 20. This is my highest section. This is money, meaning security, stability. It's like a future-oriented thing. If you add up your scores for questions nine to 12, as I did, I got 14 out of 20. That is money meaning enjoyment. And then lastly, the last section, if you add up your scores there, 
I scored five out of 20. That is money, meaning control. Identity, security, enjoyment, control. These are some of the things that money means. Just take a moment and just look at your scores or look at, you know, regardless of whether, so let's say you were all under 10 in every category, which was your highest and which was your lowest? Or which ones were you very high in, you know, 17, 18 out of 20? The overall scores, the absolute scores don't necessarily matter. Just think which of those four, identity, security, enjoyment, control is highest for you. If you think about this, it tells us a few different things. The first one is money means different things to different people, right? The meaning of money, not the math, not the, science, the, the addition, subtraction side of money. There's a math side to money. And then there's an emotional, psychological, spiritual side of money. We're talking about the emotional, psychological, spiritual side of money when we say, what does money mean? We handle it, spend it, and save it, and think about it for different reasons. It means different things to different people. I'll tell you my journey with it. Um, before I got into pastoral ministry and I was making more money than I am now, and I got to a point in my life where like, even at what I felt like pretty young still making way more money than I ever thought I would make, and at that age. Now, neither Jen and I um, were reckless spenders, so we didn't think too much about money, but if there had been a stressful season or a February was really sucky and really cold, I'm like, let's go on a cruise. Let's go somewhere. I want to go somewhere. Like, and I would just go and I wouldn't have to worry about what it cost because I kind of knew I had enough money. For me, money was enjoyment. And I, and I just liked enjoying my life and buying stuff for me, buying stuff for other people, having fun, going out to eat, all of that stuff. That's what money meant to me. And that's how it worked. Well, then uh, I changed my job, become a pastor and I make less money take a pay cut. So now what money meant was like, okay, now I, you know, I can't, it started to, I started to notice. And actually you can see in my scores, the top one for me now is security. I started to worry more about the future, about retirement, about when my kids grow up and education and all of that stuff and planning, because I was not sure, am I going to have enough or I have less than I used to have? So now it's switched for me. Money meant a different thing. Some of it's tied to my personality and my story and my own shortcomings. Some of it's tied to my situation in life. Money means different things to different people. And it's easy to see, oh, what money means to other people, harder to see what it means to us. But that's partly why I want to have you do a survey like this. But think about not just what money means different things to different people. Think about Jesus' words now. When he talks about money as possibly something that we might serve, that it might direct the decisions of our life. Money is something that holds our affections that we cling to or money that we trust in. Now we can start to see what Jesus is getting at. And here's the point. Is that money promises or offers to us the things that God alone can give, right? Identity, security, enjoyment, control. These are the things that money offers us, incredibly powerful things that ultimately only God can offer. And these aren't like bad things. Is it bad to buy a car to drive to A to B? No, a car is good. If you need a car, especially in a city like ours, to get from A to B, that's a good thing. But if you think that what your car looks like and how expensive it is changes how other people see you and changes how you feel about yourself, that might be a problem. That's an identity thing. 
Is it good to save for the future, to plan, and if you have children, about school or retirement, to know you're going to have money later? Yes, that's very wise. (laughs) But when we depend on that, when we think, when we feel better about ourselves and better about the future, the more money we have in the bank account and the more plans, is that a good thing? No, ultimately we're trusting in something that is very unreliable (laughs) and a material thing that ultimately is meant to have our hearts, and it can lead to a lot of worry and a lot of stress, and me might change jobs and take jobs we shouldn't take and leave jobs we shouldn't leave because of our security and what we're depending on in the future. Is it good to enjoy a nice meal out and a vacation or something if you can afford it? Yeah, great. (laughs) You know, at the end of the day, you come back to your marriage that may be stressful or broken and it doesn't change. The dinner you had, the vacation you had doesn't fix that. You still have to work on that. You're still going to come back to the job that's stressful or life or difficult or friend groups. Those things don't fix them. They're temporary solutions, but they don't ultimately help you and serve you. And Jesus is putting his, his finger on this. The more we look to money to do the things that only God can do, to give identity, a sense of self and stability in who we are, to give security, a sense of, 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 of peace about the present and stability and about the future, enjoyment, to have deep happiness and joy in our lives no matter what's going on. The more we look to money to do those things instead of what only God can do, the more... Jesus points out, we become a slave to money. So he says in verse 24, 24, we don't like that. We don't like that word, especially in North America. And think, no, I'm totally free. We have a continent built on this idea that each person is free. (laughs) But the more we let money direct our lives, the more we let money say who we are as people, the more we cling to money, have our hearts devoted to it, the more we trust in it and depend on it, ultimately we become a slave to it. It drives our lives. It determines our choices. It shapes our life. And we, listen, end up making sacrifices to that God. How many of us have sacrificed so much time with loved ones because of the work we did and the money it paid and it was too good to leave? How many of us sacrificed gray hair and stress and physical health staying in a career or in a job because we were too afraid to take less money to do something we actually loved? How many of us have spent hundreds of hours investing in our work, investing in education, investing in learning, and we spend barely an hour a week with God letting him shape and direct our lives? How many of our marriages have suffered because we have both chosen to pursue our careers, our interests, our growth, our personal self-actualization in the jobs and the money we have and neglected the intimacy between us? If money is the thing that ultimately determines our identity, our enjoyment, our security, our happiness, it's going to make us make sacrifices to it. It becomes the God we serve, the God we love, the God we cling to. Friends, I say this, and Jesus is saying this in these scriptures, not to make us feel guilty, but to be honest about the fact that we're not, if we serve money, we're not actually free. And he invites us instead to serve God. Why? Because money is a cruel master. Ultimately, we can trust Jesus to tell us this, to point out the things that money means to us and to warn us that money could become a God. Why? Because Jesus is a different kind of God. 
See, money is a cruel master. It takes more than it gives. It under overpromises and underdelivers. It demands blood, sweat, tears, energy, and it gives so much less. Whereas Jesus, the one talking, said this to his disciples: "I did not come into this world to be served by you, but to serve." <laughs> That's the beautiful thing about serving God. He says, no, I actually came to serve you. I give to you what you need. I don't take. Jesus doesn't demand sacrifices from us. He became a sacrifice for us. He sacrificed himself for us. (laughs) And Jesus says, the more you cling to me, the more you trust in me, the less of a slave you are to everything else and the more free you really are. Friends, this is why we can trust Jesus to be our true master, our true Lord, the one we serve and let direct our decisions in our lives about money, the one we let him tell us what to do with money, the one we can love and give our affections to because he loves us, and the one we can cling to and depend on and trust in. And so here's my encouragement to you is really to have a conversation about money, about your money, first of all, with Jesus. Maybe in light of what you learned today about what money means to you, to say to Jesus, Jesus, this is what money means to me. Why? Right, because that's a really important question. Why does money mean that to me? Why do I think money's going to deliver identity, security, enjoyment, control? And if I can encourage you to be brave, have a conversation about that with someone in your family, a friend, a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend in your, at your family dinner table, and just share with them, hey, here's what money means to me. What about you? You could even ask if you're really brave. Say, hey, what do you think I scored on that survey? What do you think money means to me, the people who know you? will have a conversation about it. And I would say over the next four weeks, stay in this conversation with us. Be courageous as we have discovered and say, okay, this is what money means to me. And it's possible that my God is green or pink or blue or brown or whatever. My God could be money. I could be caught between serving a God who doesn't take from me, but actually gives himself for me and this other God of money. Stay in the conversation to see what else Jesus might have to say for you. The reason I'd encourage you to do this, and I know it's hard, It's hard to think about this, hard to have these conversations with Jesus, hard to stay in that conversation, hard to invite other people in our lives to tell us what they see, what money might mean to us. But the reason to do it is the very thing that all those advertisements and all those wealth places and all the banks and everything offer you, but cannot ultimately give because they're trying to just get money from you. Jesus himself offers us true freedom, true joy and true peace. As he is the God who said, I don't need you to serve me, but I came to serve you. I don't demand sacrifices from you, but I sacrifice myself for you. And the more you cling to me, the more you are truly free.